0: In the studios of KPFK Los Angeles, Pacifica Radio, welcome to Poets Café. Our guest lives and writes in Paris. She is the author of Between Soul and Stone, and But a Passage in Wilderness, from Sheep Meadow Press. Her book of illustrated stories, Beautiful Soon Enough, received the first Ronald Suknek Innovative Fiction Award. Other honors include the Robert H. Winner Award from the Poetry Society of America, her works appear in the American journals, Poetry International, New Letters, Kenyon Review, Plume, The Collagist, Tupelo Quarterly, Gulf Coast, Southern Humanities Review, Pleiades, Prairie Schooner, the American Journal of Poetry, and Jakarta Press, among many others. Before the drought, her newest collection is from Glass-Lyre Press and was a finalist for the National Poetry Series. Welcome to Poets' Café, Margot Berdyshevsky.
1: This poem is dedicated to the Paris massacres in November of 2015. No modifier at all. None. No one is not connected to someone else in the city who was hurt that night or dead. It is the no degrees of separation or escape. Or times we've been born to. Everyone knows someone who knew at least one in a city of millions. Open terraces under street lamps and a fingernail of moon. Tables of friends, a concert by the eagles of death metal, and autumn, and blood, and no breath, and the young. The rifles and a will to end something. Paris for lovers. I open my door to a man I've been calling all this week to fix my door. Hamid, thin as a pencil, flaming as a showgirl. A face from the projects, a face from the once-upon colonies. My lock no longer works. These are days when one thinks of closing doors. He stands in my hall, eyes like tunnels and sewers that bend under the city. Last Saturday, there was a carnival bulging in those tunnels. People vowed to dance and to wear costumes and to live unless they die. I wore silk, rented gowns and feathers and masks. You had to be invited. Steps underneath our city. I wore red. Who are you? Someone whispered in the dark. I don't know is anyone's reply. I'm so sorry I have not answered you earlier this week, madame. My sister, the baby one, she is, was one of, in the cafe. She came to the birthday for her lover. Her name was Jamila. I had photographed candles and flowers left for the murdered in front of that cafe the day after. I remember that name, Jamila, I tell him. His eyes are sewers, tunnels. He cries. I cry. Destiny. He mumbles so softly I am not sure I have heard. He pulls his satchel of tools into my hole to repair my door. There is a noise somewhere that is too loud. We are strangers. He has come to fix my door. Holding one another until it is over. No modifier at all.
0: Thank you, Margot. Welcome to Poets Cafe. Thank you. We're so happy to have you here. What a powerful, powerful piece that you opened with. Your poetry often speaks to poems as witness. Uh, Carolyn Forche wrote a very eloquent blurb (laughs) for your recent collection, uh, Before the Drought. Among other things, she said, your poems speak to the precipice on which we stand. So much of your work uh, invokes that witnessing. In an interview with Poetry International, you said that poetry is a language of the soul. And I'm thinking about the experience of witness, and if this isn't true, can the right language also manifest healing for witness and for others? And is that part of your hope in the arts?
1: It's very much my hope. And yes, it is part of the healing. It's also, I believe, this book and maybe much of my other work, but I think this book more than any other, is a book for the cries and for the whispers of our time. Right. And if we are true to both the cries and the whispers, then that can be a beginning of healing. Otherwise, we're ostriches and we keep our heads in the sand and pretend it isn't happening.
0: We've gone through these horrible, violent times, and as she said, you know, we're on the precipice. Yes. And so there's always a sense of danger. Is there danger? But then there's also the joie de vivre of, of living in Paris. Well, Paris
1: is called the city of light, and we want to believe that with all our hearts. But that's like saying America is a land of democracy. We want to believe that with all our hearts. Right. And neither one is always true.
0: No, that's true. But I have a sense that, you know, as the world was watching that happening, and we were all with Paris, how they were very defiant.
1: I walked with millions of people in the streets. And that was a sense of solidarity. That was a sense of standing up to be counted in the face of one horror, of many horrors.
0: And here was this workman that personally, was devastatingly, yes. irretrievably touched by this incident.
1: And in a way I felt very honored, it's a strange word to use, but honored that he was so honest with me yeah. to let me know where he was coming from and that he was there in my door right. to be of help to me, even as we both remembered.
0: This collection There are many poems of Witness. It talks about the conditions of the world, of what it's like to be a woman in response to these times. There's certainly a great level of feminism in it. I think you said somewhere in Paris, the old and the new are rubbing their hips against each other. Yes,
1: yes. Well, it's a city, don't forget, it's a city built of ancient stones Yes. And built by amazing creators and artists and sculptors. Right. Don't forget that Notre Dame is built on the site of ancient pagan ruins.
0: And that history has to permeate you.
1: Well, that's one of the reasons I have chosen to live there. Right. I'm a global person, Mm -hmm. and I want to be in touch with both what anciently has led to the global. And if there is a future for us in this world, I want to stand with the rest of the world to look it in the eye, look it in the heart.
0: Yes, and you look in the, in the heart so eloquently. Let's look in the heart at another poem. Blaison, uh, I'll let you say, Blaison pour le corps.
1: Blason pour le corps. <laughs> yeah, this is maybe the sexy one. Okay. Blason pour le corps. Gentle the sound of the rain, Verlaine. Clitoris, belly, nape, taste bud, body, beloved bully. How surprisingly you strut, how unexpectedly you age. How night rides the in and the out of you, sen of you, Doe of you. Who raped the silk in you? Don't answer. Blood's hummingbird under your ribs. Body monster, ravenous. Now the hound's heartbeat outrunning my greed. Body inside, thin ibis, flaming. Mirror, bitch, brayer, do I love you or not? Body my blessing, my birthday bleed. Body my deceiver, body my taunt, my strutter, my ogre, my mirror, bitch, brayer. We're as opened as we'll ever be. Listen, listen, Verlaine's new (laughs) reign. Fantastic.
0: If you're just tuned in, we're listening to Margot Berdyshevsky. She's reading from her beautiful collection Before the Drought out on Lyre Press. This is Lois P. Jones, host of Poets Cafe. And we're amongst the riches and the ruins of Paris right now. Oh, uh, this is such a beautiful blazon. Uh, explain, can you briefly, what a blazon
1: is? is? a is a song of praise. It's mm-hmm. a poem of praise. Mm-hmm. And in this case, in this poem, I'm looking at praising the body, the aging body, the feminine body, both praising it. And a part of praise is a reality check. A part of praise is honesty.
0: Yes. Bitch Brayer, that's what I feel like sometimes. Yeah, (laughs) me too. (laughs) Me too. Looking at the body. And, you know, it's very difficult to write about that process because you can sound sort of self-pitying. It can be a rant. And this is music. And this is empowering because it inhabits both the body's malleable aspects Mm -hmm. and its changeability, and yet there's the constant of the being in there and this river. And it's just, uh, I love, you know, the juxtaposition of the two.
1: These are moments, this is a moment in history when we're talking about what it might be to be a woman, to be a more powerful woman than, as women, we've been allowed to be. And I came across recently and reread Sojourner Truth's letter. Mm -hmm. And still I am a woman, and yet I am a woman. Yes. And that has resounded in me still and does now as I think about Me Too movement, as I think about so many of the things. And I think it applies to the ways in which I've wanted to write about being a woman in this book.
0: Yes, and a sensual and erotic yeah. as well. Uh, you know, we must give ourselves permission to do that. Sometimes I've shied away from it. I mean, my poetry... Is inherently sensual yes but to be sexual I think I feel like okay maybe I can't do that now but well
1: because it's considered dangerous if we allow ourselves to be too sexy then we're asking for it is the common lie
0: right but also the point of the inherent ageism mm-hmm which I find sometimes intimidating. Like, should I be reading this now? <laughs> like, it's like you're asking yourself, should I be wearing this skirt now? Okay, so uh, let's stay with Paris and move, if we can, to Paris, chérie.
1: Paris, chérie. Kiss-humping bridges. Now you carry this burned body to a violining dawnrise in front of Saint-Gervais' bells. Now you monologue to the sex-legged revenant home from her begging, home from the dead. Now you mourn with the massacred and their white-eyed children. But courtyards, cathedrals, doorways make room today for the corner-pissing Mendiant. She needs as much cleanliness as the shutters opening. Kneeling, great sleeping, she needs covers. You have given me cake, Paris. Given me mothers. Given me filthy poems. Barely brave enough to be written, but I have. Will you give her a morning rise whistle and promise her one last lover, one last day, too, before this year bulges its hips into next year and I lose you again, Paris, darling? We are both hungry, both stained by your autumn hope. And if you don't, there are flames who will.
0: (laughs) Perfect. Thank you. I love that. It just brings this counterpoint into my perception of you. You're from New York originally. I was born in New York City, yes. Right. Which is not Power City, like Paris, but Mm -hmm. in a completely different way. And you were an actress?
1: I was for many years.
0: Yes. And you even opened a play for Pinter? Is that I right?
1: performed in a world premiere of a duet of his plays, The Basement and The Tea Party.
0: That's fantastic. Yeah. And uh, was he present? He was. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm sorry. A little fangirl there. <laughs> that is really...
1: Uh, oh, I'll tell you one thing about him. Yeah. A year after, we stayed in touch by letter, yeah. and he sent me a letter saying, I've had a very good year. I've written one good poem. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and we had um, Julian Sands on the show, and uh-huh. I don't know if you know about this, but he was doing a one-act play about... Harold Pinter's poetry, Mm -hmm. which was very uh, important to him,
1: right? Well, Pinter's poetry is not great poetry. We know that. Uh He was a great playwright. Yeah. But it was deeply felt and deeply political. Yes. And important for him, again, to stand up as an artist, as a human, to stand up and be counted when Mm. he did.
0: Mm -hmm. That's right. And his plays are his legacy. Yes. I have to ask you for a very interesting anecdotal story about Hugh Hefner.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that? Yeah. Well, when opening night came for the play of Pinter's that I was performing in, there was a scene, as soon as I walked on stage with my lover in the play, sitting down center stage left was his best friend with an open book of the Kama Sutra. And the play was written in such a way that the friend and I walk in, ignore the friend writing the Kama Sutra. I strip naked, get into bed, and so does the lover, and lights dim down. Well, the next morning there was a review in the New York Times, and it spoke about the nudity. And these were years in New York City when nudity was suddenly becoming more... Popular, mm-hmm. let's say.
0: <laughs> let's let's write a scene where they take off their clothes. That's right. Well,
1: <laughs> I I don't think Carol Pinter had that particularly in <laughs> mind. He thought it fit with the play. Right. Anyway, review appeared, and later that morning the telephone rang, and it was Hugh Hefner, and he was calling for Playboy, and he said, "I was there last night, and uh, we'd like you to do a center spread." And I had one sentence reply, I only do it for Harold Pinter, and I hung up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Goodbye, Hugh. Yeah, there was such a, you know, testimony after he died. And, oh, uh, yeah. Um, two, you know, different schools of thought, <laughs> and it was very interesting. But I love that story. Uh, I do, too. You shut him down. You shut him down. So going from Pinter back to poetry, let's get back into your book again for this delicious poem, Mornings After.
1: Mornings After. Ask if I cry, who should translate? Is there an alchemist in our house for nothing left? No name for us translator of my twisted tongue and dawn, no milk. Silence, translate the scholar who walks between once Birkenhau's chilled chimneys of once upon order, once Auschwitz modern vast, nothing there nothing left. Once, silence. Ask the dissident, not her sister, death. I am the woman who asks, how close is a death? How near is a god? Asks, does order or its shattered window shout? Asks, what can the scholars cry? Is there a scientist in our house? For nothing left. Because tidal waves emptied again last night. Because islands of the land of the rising sun spun to corpse pieces, house pieces, skin. Because grandmothers who ran in village lanes burning once before, aged to what the day gorged, then sent back, newly washed. Ready to burn again, sons, without children, lost but their radiant chimneys blistering. Because on the same earth I hold the crow-born dawn, hold swift song, morning's fresh milk, ask, if I cry, who can translate? Are there alchemists in our house? I am the woman who asks after. Sparrow, eye on a god with no name for us, What did you find? If you just tuned in, you're
0: listening to Poets Cafe. I'm host Lois P. Jones, and we're with our marvelous guest, Margot Berdyshevsky, visiting us from Paris. And she's sharing from her wonderful collection, Before the Drought, on Glass Lair Press. What triggered that poem uh, specifically?
1: Well, as you say, the book is a book of witness in its way, and in our times, before the drought, we have witnessed tsunamis, Mm -hmm. we have witnessed earthquakes, we have witnessed what devastates our tiny little planet and our huge universe, and I felt the calling in me to look at the timeline of history, if you will, of the devastations, and to say I'm the woman who asks in the face of that, among the many of us who ask, but I choose to ask.
0: Did you go to Somali?
1: I, no, not to Somali. I went to Sumatra. Oh, I to went Sumatra. to Aceh. I okay. had a very dear friend who was creating a clinic for the survivors after the tsunami there. Yes. And she asked if I would come to bear witness, to photograph, to write about it, and to do what healing was possible which meant to touch people who just needed someone to touch them and hold them and let them cry.
0: And she asked you and you said that you were sort of afraid.
1: Oh I was terrified and I showed up anyway because she's a very very dear friend and I trusted her calling on a spiritual level and when I showed up and I said I'm afraid and she pointed to a woman just near to where we were and she said you see that woman? I said yeah. And she said she lost all of her family, but they had promised one another at the moment that the wave was coming that they would hold on to one another and not let go. And so they did. And for whatever reason, she was the only one who came out alive. And she looked at me and she said, Margot, if that happened to you and me, would that be okay? Hmm. And in that moment, I said, I'm not afraid anymore. Yes, it would be okay. I'm here. And I went to work.
0: It gives you just an extraordinary perspective and seeing the devastation, the loss, whatever it might be, and how people survive those with dignity and strength.
1: Well, it changed me forever. I mean, it, it opened my eyes. It opened my soul if you will. Mm -hmm. And I think it's what in America at the moment is most, most lacking, that we see individual circumstances, but we don't say, that can be me, that is me.
0: Exactly. Somebody said something just the other night about... This is uh, very graphic, but if we could see the limbs being yes. torn from bodies and, you know, th- the actual graphic aspects of war, it wouldn't be just, oh, there's light going off in the distance and they're bombing somebody. It would be real. It feels like it would change us more. I mean, of course, we don't get consented on war. You know, the government goes off and does well, it. Well,
1: mm-hmm. they're dropping bombs again.
0: I know. I know. This and is missiles. exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we're actually winding down the show, and I want to take us out with somebody who's very dear to you. The last poem, which is Evil Twin of Blue. ah, Can you say something about what that means?
1: The poem was written in honor of a great poet who was my neighbor when I lived in Hawaii for many years, and that's W.S. Merwin. And the poem was written at the time that his wife was very ill. She's now passed on. He's still in life, in breath. And yes, he's very dear to me, and I love him a great deal. And he's the one who led me to a poem by Randall Jarrell with this line, which I use as an epigraph for the poem. And it's particularly pertinent because at this point, Merwin has lost most of his sight. And the line of Randall Jarrell's is It's getting dark, little thief of starlight. And the poem is called Evil Twin of Blue. It said, Only the dark is visible, still unfolding. Second in a month, it is the black moon, dark side of me, or new or old dust. The old poet I like best is still alive, feeding one cardinal on his banister, drinking Wooloo Mountain tea on his eighty-ninth birthday. May the mountain's height and slope give a needed shade, protection of a holy parent. His wife is saying adieus to life amid the rare fronds. She who, all in white, he spied across a woven room and loved after all the others were whispers. Tonight, the thousands, distant suns, spy on us all. How far is far away?
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Margot, for being on the show.
1: Thank you, Lois. Thank you for inviting me.
0: This is host Lois P. Jones, and our guest has been Margot Berdyshevsky. Thanks to our master chef, Marlena Bond. Look for us on the Poets Cafe fan page on Facebook. You've been listening to Poets Cafe on Pacifica Radio for all of Southern California and beyond.